Well, good morning to each and every one of you. And uh, a bit of a surprise this morning seeing me here instead of Pastor Jagel. Uh, Friday, he gave me a phone call and he didn't sound too good. And they asked if I could step into the breach, which I was happy to do. Okay, let's uh, open up in a word of prayer and ask the Lord's blessing upon his word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again, we give thee thanks for the Lord's Day. We thank thee, Father, that we can read thy word, meditate upon it, expound it. And Father, I hope and pray that each and every one of us might be built up in our most holy faith and drawn closer to yourself. Father, my prayer today is that you would take the speaker, hide him behind the cross, and let no man be seen, save Jesus only. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> uh, last Sunday night, uh, I was privileged to speak here, and I spoke about King David. Uh, King David, who showed compassion upon the one who was injured by the fall. Uh, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was taken up by his nurse, <clears throat> excuse me, and she ran. And while she made haste, Mephibosheth fell. And so he was injured by the fall. And that was a beautiful picture of our salvation. Uh, we too were injured by the fall as a result of sin. Romans 5.12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. David had compassion. David made the first move. David called him <clears throat> by his name. David made him a son. And he sat at the king's table. And when you look at that, that's exactly what's happened to us. The Lord had compassion. He made the first move. He died for our sin. He calls his own by name. And we are now the sons of God and joint heirs with Christ. What a blessing it is to know that. Now this morning we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 1. We look at the fellowship of the gospel. We look at the furtherance of the gospel. And we look at the faith of the gospel. What a wonderful portion of the Word of God, Philippines chapter 1 is. Now the whole of the book of the Philippines is packed. It's full of love. It's full of mercy. It's full of grace and joy in Christ. It highlights hardships. It highlights humility. Highlights hope in suffering. It's known as the epistle of joy. And some others have called it the joy of Christian suffering. Now the word joy and rejoice is used 16 times in this small epistle. And we must remember it was a letter from Paul who was in prison. He was in prison in Rome. Uh, he was writing to his beloved brethren in Philippi and was written around about A.D. 62. Now, if you were to go back into Acts chapter 16, we have the start up of the church in Philippi. 
which was about 10 years earlier. Sometimes it's hard to get the exact date, but about 10 years earlier, around AD 52. Of course, the church was started by Paul himself. Today, folks, we will take a look at the Apostle Paul. We'll see how he conducted himself under the greatest of pressure. And maybe even compare ourselves in our materialistic surroundings and see how we measure up in these days. Paul's circumstances were anything but joyful. But yet he remained joyful. Because folks, joy is not our joy ought not to be affected by the external. Joy ought not to be uh, affected by external things. True joy is limitless. I should not be affected by the mundane little tribulations and testings that the Lord allows us to go through. And you heard a list of folks today who are going through sickness and bereavement and, and operations and so forth. And folks, please, I'm not downplaying, I'm not undermining some of the difficulties which we all go through. But by comparison to what Paul went through, uh, we have very little to complain about. And we'll be looking at that as we get through the message. And in saying that, there are times when our outward joy is not what it ought to be. I'm sure you can appreciate that. I know sometimes my outward joy is not what it ought to be. But different circumstances affects us. But in many cases, we lose our joy because of sin in our lives. And I'm not talking about our internal joy. That can never be taken away. Uh, but it's the outward manifestation of the joy, the joy of our conversation, our manner of living, what other people see in our lives. David, the psalmist said in Psalm 51, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You see, he lost his joy. Outwardly, he could not show joy. He had sinned. Uh, he was not where he should have been. See, it tells you in the Bible, at the time when kings go out to battle, David stayed at home. And when he stayed at home, he looked upon a woman. He lusted for the woman. He laid hands of the woman. He had licentious behavior with the woman. He lied, he connived, he killed her husband. All because... He was not in the place where he should have been. And folks, as I said last week, you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And Bernie's had an accident, and we know they sit there in the front row almost, and he's missed because he's not in a seat. And others who are going through sicknesses and so forth, they're missed because they're not in their seat Jonathan said that to David because David had a seat at the table of Saul but Saul was out to kill him and on a couple of occasions he threw his javelin and missed and then it got to the point where 
he could no longer be there. And Jonathan said, you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And let me just say this, for those listening in, and I know that many are there at home because of sickness. I'm not talking about those who cannot be here. Beware of staying at home when it's not necessary. David stayed at home when he should have been in the forefront of the battle. And folks, we need to be very careful where we spend our time. David lost his joy because of sin in his life. And Psalm 51 verse 4 says this, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Now we would say he sinned against his own body. We would say he sinned against the woman. But David said, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. That was just a little bunny tail along the way. And as I said, Paul's circumstances was anything but joyful. And you'll find that different ones in the scriptures lose their joy, mainly because of sin, rebellion, doing what God told them not to do. Paul was anything but in a joyful situation. He was arrested. He was taken to Rome. Uh, he was awaiting trial. And on top of all that, there seemed to be a division among the brethren. Uh, verses 14 to 17 makes that very clear. Verse 14 says, And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bones are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. And so he was concerned about a division among the brethren and what they were doing while he was in prison. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, said, supposing to add affliction, to my bonds but they were not see he was in prison he realized that others were trying to damage him when he was in prison but no he was joyful in the Lord Paul's concern was not for himself but for the gospel of Christ six times the gospel is mentioned in that chapter Six times the gospel is mentioned. In verse 5 it says this, your fellowship in the gospel. In verse 7 it says this, and confirmation of the gospel. In verse 12 it says this, unto the furtherance of the gospel. In verse 17, for the defense of the gospel. In verse 27 it's mentioned twice, twice, only let your conversation, your manner of living, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in the one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. 
And so he was not thinking of himself. He was thinking of a defense of the gospel. So the gospel is mentioned six times. And three times, the apostle changes his arguments. And in verse 12, verse 17, and verse 22, we have the word but. And I've mentioned that before here from the pulpit. In verse 12, but I would that you should understand. In verse 17, but the other of love. In verse 22, but if I live in the flesh. And so he changes his argument to a point or uh, what he was saying before. And so uh, six times. He mentions the gospel three times. He mentions the word but. And then 17 times, we're not going to go through these, 17 times he mentions the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can see where his emphasis is. He's not looking for sympathy here. He was in prison, yes. And, and folks, I don't think we understand what prison was like in those days. It's not like today, where you go to prison and you get a menu for your dinner and then you go down to get your teeth looked at in the afternoon and all the rest of it. And then at night time you go down to the exercise yard, whatever the case might be. No, prison was a dire situation. Sometimes uh, hell between two guards. Sometimes it was filthy and messy and smelly in those prisons. <coughs> But Paul was not looking for sympathy. He was exalting the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, even in the worst of circumstances. Folks, Paul had a single mind. It was all about Christ and his gospel. And folks, you know that? Today, too many professing Christians are double-minded. I'm sure you know some. I'm sure I know some. Too much of self and not enough of the Lord Jesus Christ in their lives. And again, folks, the word of God says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James 1 verse 8. Okay, let's look at our first point. Our first point more closely, that is. The fellowship of the gospel. Folks, to be in Christ and part of a Christian church, Christian fellowship is a source of joy, ought to be a source of joy, especially when things become difficult. And it's good that we can stand here, that men like Troy and others who lead the meetings, and ask the brethren to pray, because we're part of a fellowship. When one hurts, the other hurts. I was sad to hear Bernie lost part of his finger, and it hurts, and we pray for him. And there's others who are sick, and our brother Murray had to go down for dialysis treatment during the week. And we pray for them. And I'm not going to go through them all. Because if I was to go through them all, I'd be mentioning almost everybody. We've all got something that needs to be prayed for. And as a church, we can pray for one another. But here is Paul, a prisoner in a Roman cell, deprived of the barest essentials. And he's thinking of others. And three phrases summarize his joyful attitude or highlights if you like the mind of Christ in Paul now verses 1 to 6 we see that Paul says I have you in my mind doesn't actually say those words but look at verse 3 verse 3 says this I thank my God upon every remembrance 
of you. So I have you in my mind. I remember you. And then in verses 7 and 8, it says this, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. So I have you in my mind. Verse 3, verse 7, I have you in my heart. And verses 9 to 11, especially verse 9, I have you in my prayers. Verse 9 says this, And this I pray, that your love may abound. And he was praying for them. I have you in my prayers. I have you in my mind. Paul was not, as I said, wallowing in self-pity. He was not thinking of himself and saying, Woe is me. I'm a Christian. Why am I suffering like this? No, no. Paul was not wallowing in self-pity. Instead, he was thinking of the dear saints, the dear saints of God in faraway Philippi. And he starts off by saying, Grace and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful prayer of endearment. And it seems that every member, or every memory, was a blessing to him. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I've said this before on several occasions. It's good to get a verse like this and just break it down and emphasize one word at a time. Oh, it's good to read many chapters, but sometimes you don't get the gist of it. But when you break it down, he would say, I thank my God upon every remembers you. I thank my God upon every remembers you. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank my God upon every remembrance and so forth and so on. And you break it down and it starts to mean more to you. And Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I would say even the memory, <laughs> uh, his memory of the time he was in jail in Philippi, uh, when the jailer was gloriously saved. Uh, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They shouted out. Of course, the answer came back, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I shall be saved. The, the jailer saw something in Paul and others, and he wanted to be saved. And I wonder if he was thinking about those things while he was yet in another jail. But, be that as it may, Paul was not thinking of himself. He was thinking of them, praying for them, being thankful, uh, remembering them. And their, and their continual growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 6, Paul speaks of and is confident that the work of God in their hearts would be a continual thing until the day of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he, God, which hath begun a good work in you, the salvation, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so he was thinking about them. He was praying for them. He was confident about them. And folks, I appreciate Paul's confidence in relation to his brethren in Philippi. Here, he realized that the author and finisher of their faith was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, studying this first point, it's helped me to realize that I need to think. 
and pray and be thankful for others. Knowing that we're, we're not perfect, but God is still working in us. As I thought about this, I thought, isn't it marvelous that God spoke into existence the universe and in six days he finished creation said it was very good do you know and pastor has been mentioned a couple of things but 200 billion trillion stars in the known universe we can't even imagine that number the Yuri Scute star is 738,347,904 miles in radius. It is 1,700 times bigger than our sun. And God created it. and said it's very good. And yet, in my 76th year, he's still working in me. And he did all that in one week. And he created the universe and said it was very good. He's working in me and he's working in you folks, conforming us to the image of his dear son. I think that is amazing. And I hope and pray that each one of us, each one of us that are here, and maybe those who are listening into this message, may be of like mind. And think about others instead of self. Pray for others instead of self. Being confident that God is still working in others, working in us with all our faults and our failings. Okay, I have you in my mind. Can you sit there and think without uh, turning off from the message? Can you sit there and think, I've got someone in mind. I'll pray for them. They're a believer. They're sick. They're not saved. I'll pray for their salvation. I have you in my mind. Now we look, I have you in my heart. Verses 7 and 8. The, the church at Philippi was made up of a, a mixed group of people. But they were bound together. Bound together in love. Uh, there was Lydia, the seller of purple. They say that she may have been a very wealthy woman. Because the purple was made from some sort of a sea snail, which was crushed, to get the purple and dye the different linens and so forth. She was a seller of purple. Uh, and then there was other ones in the church. There, there would have been more than likely the Philippine jailer and his family, and maybe even the slave girl that was saved. But regardless of all these, a group of all kinds of people uh, not unlike every church I have ministered in. They were all different, yet one in Christ. Yes, there's a oneness. Uh, Vicky and I have had the privilege of traveling. Uh, we've been to churches in Ireland. We've been to churches in uh, Germany. We've been to churches in China, Canada, UK, USA. And you walk in and there's a oneness a oneness in Christ. There's something about being in fellowship with those who are in Christ. And it's all over the world. But there's always the expectation. There's always, uh, let's say, the exception in the minority of churches, which call themselves fundamental and independent, who are out of sync with the others. We can expect that. Not everyone is the same. 
There are those churches where men seek their own way. And we've heard a little bit about it from this pulpit. Uh, where different ones have changed their doctrine. Different ones have changed their stance on music and so forth. So we're different. That's all I'm saying. In the scriptures, the church of Corinth was different from the church of Philippi. The church of Corinth had lots and lots of troubles. The church of Philippi was a good church. It was a blessing unto Paul. I hope and pray that we would line up with Philippi and be a good church before the Lord. Their hearts were united in their love for Christ, not for each other. Ah, sorry, and for each other. Uh, they had shared the gospel together. They, like Paul, were not seeking their own. So Paul says, I have you in my mind. I have you in my heart. And then he says, I have you in my prayers. Paul always took time to pray for the saints. We'll not turn to these, but if you look at the epistles that Paul wrote, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 4, 1, 2 Corinthians 13, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Philippians 1, Philippians 4. I cease not to pray for you. He was praying for the saints. Now on a Wednesday night here, we make out a prayer list. And we sit down and we pray. I would like to have seen Paul's prayer list. It would have been huge for the people that he prayed for. And he prayed for the Christians of Philippi. He was praying that they might live full spiritual lives. And that they may, their love may abound. And folks, what Paul prayed for the Christians at Philippi applies to us as well. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, mature, unto all good works. And so we ought to pray for one another. We ought to pray for the full development of Christ in our lives. So he prayed that they might have full lives. He prayed that their love might abound. He prayed for discernment, for faithfulness and fruitfulness. And folks, Paul was praying that these Christians might be mature. Now I'm going to read from another Bible and King James to the backbone. But I do have the King James amplified version, which amplifies some of the words. And Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 to 11 says here, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more, and extend to its fullest development in knowledge and all keen insight. That is, that your love may display itself in greater depth of acquaintance at more comprehensive discernment so that you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and the best and distinguishing the moral differences that you may be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless, that with heart sincere and certain and unsullied you may approach the day of Christ not stumbling, nor causing others to stumbling. And so it kind of just 
enlarges and expands the verses that we read together. And folks, God wants us to be mature Christians in these days. And unfortunately, in these days, the church is locking him out. In Revelation, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I know some people use that in a salvation way. It's not to do with salvation. It's the end-time church, the church at Laodicea. And the church is lukewarm. And churches today have locked the Lord Jesus Christ out. And he wants fellowship with his people. So, in the first 11 verses, we see that Paul had them in his mind. He had them in his heart. He had them in his prayers. The fellowship of the gospel. Now we look at the furtherance of the gospel. Now I like the way Paul states verse 12. Verse 12 says this, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. <laughs> Do you understand what Paul's saying here? The things which happened unto me. And he leaves it there. He didn't develop that theme. He wasn't looking for sympathy. He wasn't wallowing in self-pity. But, but we do read of some of the things which happened to him in other scriptures. Please turn to 2 Corinthians 11. Just back a couple of pages. 2 Corinthians 11, and you'll see some of the things that happened to him. And all he says is, the things which happened to me. And he says, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often. In pearls of water. In pearls of uh, robbers. In pearls of mine own countrymen. In pearls of the heathen. In pearls in the city. In pearls in the wilderness. In pearls in the sea. In pearls among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. <laughs> the things which happened to me. And he leaves it there. Didn't develop it. How many of us would have given up after the first beating? I cannot imagine being whipped 40 times and scourged with a leather whip. I cannot imagine being beaten with rods. I've had some beatings in my life, but I cannot imagine what Paul went through. I cannot imagine what it would be like 
to be stoned to death, which he was. If you can imagine standing there with a crowd around you and piles of rocks at their feet and they start casting those rocks at you, they don't leave you alive. They dragged him out of the city and the Lord raised him up and he went back to work. He went back to explaining the gospel, even back to the city that stoned him. But that's another story. The things which happened to me. I think I would have given up, to be honest. But then the Lord gives us strength, doesn't he? And it may well be that the Lord would allow us to go through some of the things. But Paul was a chosen vessel. How many of us would give up? How many of us give up just because we can't get our own way? How many of us give up just because we get our nose out of joint? (laughs) Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes the storms come. Don't give up. Think of Paul. Think of what the Lord will do for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul never gave up. He kept going. And in these verses, these few verses, he puts Christ first. Regardless of what was causing him troubles. He says, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But on the other hand, many were praying for him. And in all this, the Lord was being manifested in his life. This is Paul. Single-minded Paul. Putting Christ first. And the gospel ahead of everything else. Let me say this. Paul was not a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3 verse 1 says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. And in Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. So he was not a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord had him there for a reason. And later on he talks about the saints of the household of the governor in Rome and so forth. The soldiers guarding him. Maybe the soldiers were chained to his wrist but they were not guards but souls for whom Christ died often he would have a captive audience to witness to and we know that some of them even got saved like the Philippine jailer and others so what I'm saying here is Paul did not allow his circumstances to get to him But he turned those circumstances into opportunities to magnify Christ and to win souls. Is that what we do in our lives? And we go through different circumstances, different trials, different tribulations. You may have to go to a doctor who's sitting beside you. You may have to go to a hospital who's sitting beside you. I remember when Vicky had her brain tumor down in the Royal Melbourne Hospital. The, uh, the waiting room became a, a, a preacher's. <laughs> and we had opportunity there to speak to people. 
And people were coming round and asking, would you come round and pray for my mother? And I had times of going around and praying for different people's mother. Do you make opportunities out of your situations? I hope so. I pray so. He put Christ first. He put others second. He loved others. He prayed for others. He encouraged others. He sought to bring others to Christ. And folks, this ought to be our encouragement. It ought to be an encouragement to us to do likewise. These scriptures are given to us as an example. As I said earlier, all scriptures give by inspiration of God and are profitable for instruction for uh, in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He put Christ first. He exalted him. He put others second. He prayed for their salvation. He put himself last in humility. His body was not his own. His future was not his own. His reputation was not his own. He had real joy in serving others. J-O-Y, Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And so we have the fellowship of the gospel, the furtherance of the gospel, and lastly, the faith of the gospel, very briefly. Folks, there are battles to fight out there. There are battles to fight in every Christian life. And we, as Christians, go through three stages, if you like, in our spiritual growth. First of all, we become a son. We can see it. Sons of God, joint heirs with Christ. A son in the family. That would equate to the fellowship of the gospel. Secondly, we become a servant. That equates to the furtherance of the gospel. You see, once you're a servant, you then teach, preach, and outreach the gospel. Become a servant equates the furtherance of the gospel. And after we become a son and a servant, we become a soldier. And that is the faith of the gospel. And we are encouraged to fight the good fight of faith. Jude verse 3 says this, And exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And praise God that in our fight we do not stand alone. Verse 27 of this first chapter says this, verse 27, That he might present it to himself a glo- oh, wrong first. Verse 27, first okay only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of christ that whether i come and see you or else be absent i may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Praise God, folks. We are not alone. We are striving together. Here, locally, throughout the world, and with all believers that preach the unadulterated word of God. But be careful, folks. There's an enemy out there. There is a substitute. There is a counterfeit. 
The, the devil is a great divider and a destroyer. The Lord is a great uniter and builder. But we must ever be careful about who or whom we unite with. Because very often uniting is nothing short of uniformity. And that means fitting in with others at the expense of your own fundamental beliefs. So we are not standing alone. We are working, fellowshipping, striving together. And we're on the winning side, folks. Verse 28 says this, And then nothing terrified by your adversaries, or adversaries, which to them an evident taken of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. So folks, we're striving together. We're on the winning side. The Lord is with us. And we do not stand alone. Last point. We are privileged to suffer for Christ. Philippines 1, 29 and 30 says this. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, which we have done, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. Folks, we are privileged to suffer for Christ. Paul was suffering and he counted it a privilege, a privilege to suffer. So often we talk about the gift of salvation and rightly so. But here's another gift, a gift that is given unto you. For unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. And it's a gift that's given unto us to suffer for Christ. And when we suffer for Christ, we can use that for his glory, no matter where we go. Paul was suffering. He counted it a privilege to suffer. So often, as I say, we talk about other things, but we never talk about the privilege or the gift of suffering. The apostles rejoiced because they, counted, they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. Acts 5, 41. So there you have it. The fellowship of the gospel. The furtherance of the gospel. The faith of the gospel. I have you in my mind. I have you in my heart. I have you in my prayers. He put Christ first. He put others second. He put himself last. We are not standing alone. We're on the winning side. It's a privilege to suffer. May we emulate Paul, who emulated Christ in his life. Amen? Let's pray. Our gracious God and our eternal Heavenly Father, again we just give thee thanks for the opportunity of opening thy word. And we thank you for this passage from Philippians chapter 1. We thank you that we can see a man of God who suffered and yet he used that to the glory of God. And Father, many here in this church are suffering. Suffering sickness, suffering bereavement, suffering one way or another. And we commit them to thee. But we do pray, Lord, that we might use that suffering for thy glory. 
that others might see who we are and whom we serve. Now, Father, just bless us as we close because we ask it in our Savior's precious and worthy name. Amen.